Hey guys, it is Friday, January 11th, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Isalike, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. If you want to reach back into later episodes of this show, or it is your first time and you want to go back and hear more, you can always head on over to iTunes, Google Play, uh, many other podcasting platforms. Just type in Salvage Title. Uh, This will come up. We host all the episodes for free on those platforms, uh, and they're also made available for free here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. Uh, On this week's episode, uh, this is actually the third episode of the week. I feel like I'm playing catch-up for time that was lost during the holiday. Uh, We're going to talk about CES, uh, some of the big automotive-related announcements that were done there. We're going to start leading into the North American International Auto Show, which kicks off unofficially this weekend, but the first day is Monday the 14th uh, when things really get rolling. Uh, We've already had one brand new car announcement. We've had one pretty substantial leak about a car that we know a lot about. Uh, There's been some news about something that might get announced uh, at the uh, North American International Auto Show that's going to have some pretty big implications going forward in the automotive industry. Uh, Yeah, lots of news going to be happening in the next week or so. Uh, I do want to do one uh, short segment on used crossover and SUV pricing. It's just something I noticed the other day uh, sitting at a stoplight, so just worth noting, especially coming off the heels of last week's story about the pricing of the new Chevy Blazer. And then last up, we're going to skip the car in my mind segment uh, and just talk about my car for a minute. Uh, I just got a note today after getting an oil change that uh, I need to do some repairs, so maybe think about that out loud just a little bit. But anyway, with all that in mind, guys, uh, we're going to do the usual music bump. There might be an ad break in there, uh, so just bear with me, and we'll catch you in just a second to talk about CES. So there are a few interesting stories that came out of CES 2019 uh, that are worth noting here before we head into the North American International Auto Show. And we'll kind of get through a couple of them relatively quick, uh, but then there's one big story that's definitely worth talking about for a moment. Uh, the first big one is that uh, Freightliner, the the semi-truck company that's owned by Mercedes-Benz, uh, they are going to be uh, unveiling, well, they already unveiled it, but they're going to be producing a semi-autonomous semi-truck in 2019 heading into 2020 uh, that's going to be available for money. Uh, they didn't really announce pricing, which I think is one huge holdback I have, but more or less, this is going to be a full-size semi-truck you know, diesel, big power, able to tow, ungodly sums of weight behind it. Uh, This thing's going to be using a uh, level one system that's similar to the Nissan ProPilot Assist systems where it combines the uh, radar cruise control, um, electronic steering, uh, side view monitors, things like that, uh, to give the car radar cruise control, um, automated steering through corners and things like that, uh, lane keep assist, that kind of stuff, and then making sure that you don't turn the truck out on a vehicle that's hiding to the side or behind you. Um, this system has been in development for quite a while. It sounds like it works pretty well inside of these trucks. Um, it sounds like it's going to be not prohibitively expensive, but it's going to be a little expensive since these are debuting on their brand new trucks that are coming out or have just come out as of now. Um, I 
would be really disappointed on Freightliner if this was prohibitively expensive. After all, if they are claiming that this is going to save a lot of lives by reducing stress on drivers, by increasing safety um, during highway driving, so on and so forth, uh, that's that's cool. But if they overcharge on it, you know, it really eliminates the ability for a lot of independent truck drivers who make up a large portion of uh, truck drivers across the country to purchase these things. So. Here's hoping that it's not too damn expensive. Uh, Tesla had its semi apparently rolling around out around that way um, over the past month or so. So really curious to hear if we or see if we hear more about that in the near future as well. Just while we're on the semi truck talking point, we did get uh, another product. I don't know if it was necessarily unveiling. Uh, it's it's more of an update on something that was shown last year at CES. Uh, Byton is the name of a Chinese EV startup. Uh, they brought their vehicle to CES once again. Um, the Byton is, I would say, a very interesting EV uh, compared to a lot of other ones that are out there. Um, like many other episodes uh, that I've talked about, the explosion of EVs in China as a response to uh, high pollution and so many other things in China uh, has been great. Uh, it's radically transformed the marketplace. There is a lot of money to be made in that country on EV vehicles. China has access to a large amount of rare earth minerals to produce batteries for EVs, so on and so forth. And Byton is yet another uh, extension of a luxury brand into that uh, thing. So they showed off a vehicle last year. It was a mid-sized crossover. Um, I think it was called the. I think it was just called the Byton crossover. I think I, I don't remember specifically what the name was, but anyway, think something along the lines of like a, I don't know. Honda CRV, maybe a little bit bigger than that, uh, sized crossover. Uh, but the cool thing was that it had this electronic dashboard that just kind of went from corner to corner on the vehicle, and there was a little tablet on the steering wheel. I think I talked about this in the CES episode last year. It's really a brilliantly designed vehicle. It looks great. It looks futuristic in the way that we haven't really seen a lot of vehicles kind of take on. And what Byton did is they they went over more of what this dashboard is going to be uh, in their production vehicle. Uh, if our memory serves, it's a 48-inch uh, screen that goes edge-to-edge -edge inside the car. Uh, on the driver's side, it's going to feature a lot of you know necessary information for you as a driver to operate the vehicle normally. Uh, in the center, it would be... Uh, entertainment stuff, uh, things like that to uh, help out the rear passengers. And over to the right, it's going to be stuff that's going to cater to the uh, passenger side of the vehicle. Um, it kind of is cool. And I guess a lot of other things are going to be controlled on this little tablet that's built into the steering wheel of the vehicle. Um, whether or not in action that's going to work, I, I think I have some personal reservations. You know, Byton's saying that a lot of these things are within eyesight of the driver that you would need to use on a normal basis. Um, there would still be some physical buttons on the center console for you to operate, you know, HVAC controls, things like that. Uh, but it's that center tablet, which I think I highlighted again last in last year's episode. I just don't understand how that is a safe way to handle procedures uh, going forward. Um, without physical buttons there, um, you're gonna have to peer down to your steering wheel to look and see what's going on. 
And perhaps, you know, if this thing does include some semi-autonomous driving things, that wouldn't be a huge problem. But I don't necessarily trust people in that situation. And so having to go down without some kind of, you know, physical button to feel as you're changing the radio or whatever, uh, it seems kind of weird. The other strange thing about it is I still don't understand how you get an airbag to deploy with a tablet that's over the steering wheel. Um, they haven't really talked about that. Uh, as far as I know, but I mean, who knows? It's it's the future. Anything can happen. These might be some really thin LCDs that, you know, come apart pretty easy and don't uh, wreck your body uh, when you get into some kind of small accident. Now, Byton is saying that they will have a smaller vehicle um, on show maybe come this time next year. Uh, they're still saying that they could start selling vehicles in the United States as early as 2020. Uh, there are many other Chinese EV brands that are saying the exact same thing. Uh, full disclosure, I own shares in the electric car company NIO. Uh, NIO has also said that they have expressed uh, interest in selling their cars here in the United States by the end of 2019 on into 2020. Um, Neo has announced, you know, a full-size luxury SUV. Think like something the size of a Tesla Model X. They have a smaller SUV that they just unveiled that's uh, a little bit closer to something like a Honda CRV. Uh, they are wanting to sell their vehicles in the United States for around $50,000, and I think it's really going to be kind of up to uh, Neo, uh, Byton, uh, Lincoln Co., many other brands, uh, to get those things figured out and shipped off here to the U.S. ASAP. I think a lot of people are looking to see whether or not BYD, which is a Chinese uh, company that produces electric vehicles, buses, and other things, uh, who has a major investor here in the United States. Uh, he, uh, what's his name? Uh, totally blanking on his name. It's the old guy who spends money on everything. I can see his picture. Anyway, that dude, he owns a large portion of that company, and a lot of people think that BYD might be showing off uh, production vehicles for the U.S. Uh, at this year's North American International Auto Show. We shall see, um, but that near future is coming. The big news from CES, of course, was that Nissan finally, 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 finally unveiled their long-range Nissan Leaf uh, that they've been promising for a little over a year. Uh, what you need to know about this Nissan Leaf is that it is now known as the Nissan Leaf E+. Uh, the E+, nomenclature, will be going after the trim levels on these Leafs, so uh, the S, the SV, the SL. Um, more or less uh, what you're getting, well, it's a 62 kilowatt hour battery. Um, it's got a much stronger electric motor. It's going to be making about 200 horsepower, just like many of the other long-range EVs that are going on sale now. Uh, with that kind of range, it's good, or that kind of power, that kind of battery, it's going to do about 226 miles uh, from a full charge uh, in most optimal driving conditions. Uh, Nissan did say that this battery continues to be a... Uh, What's the word for it? There's a, there's a more technical word for it. What I'm going to use is environmentally uh, heated or cooled battery. Um, this is not a temperature-controlled battery like what you get in a Tesla, a Chevy Bolt, um, these new Hyundais, anything like that. So uh, Nissan says that they've increased the efficiency of these batteries uh, significantly over previous iterations of them. Uh, they claim that there are not going to be major penalties in performance of this vehicle when it is exceptionally hot or exceptionally cold. Uh, so we will see. 
Um, but you know, with these cars, you know, you're going to get that long range battery. You're going to get that higher output engine. Uh, but it sounds like these trims are more or less going to be carryover from the standard Nissan Leaf. Uh, I do personally find that a little disappointing, uh, particularly when this, uh, extra performance is going to cost as much as 10 grand extra over the standard car. Um, it sounds like the base trim versions of this car is going to start around $36,000 before the federal tax incentives, uh, which does make this significantly more expensive than the new Hyundai Kona EV and the Kia Niro EV, and that is very disappointing to me. Uh, Nissan has made a killing over the past few years with the Nissan Leaf. It was, up until the Tesla Model 3, the best-selling EV in the United States. Uh, they've always been held in high regard as being very reliable, uh, well-built gateway vehicles to get people into EV technology. And with this being a long-range Leaf, finally, for a lot of people, it's going to be a good way for them to uh, get into the EV lifestyle overall. I'm personally excited to see this car on the road. I'm personally excited to see this car in person. I am excited to see if Nissan's going to undercut that price a little bit. Uh, but if it is $36,000, that is a bit of a misstep. Uh, you know, I, I know I hammer on the Hyundai Kona EV and the Kia Niro EV as being the tipping point future vehicles. But I think really on a personal level, uh, the standard going forward should be $30,000 before tax incentives uh, with, you know, 250 miles of range, uh, you know, made by a big time car maker. And whether or not everybody hits that, I think it's going to be a moving target for a lot of people, but uh, that's kind of the standard I'm setting. And I guess at least in my mind, uh, these are just a little too expensive, but big news nevertheless. Uh, if you get a chance, uh, head on over to the wide variety of technology uh, blogs, magazines, platforms, things like that to check out some stories about CES. Uh, CNET had some interesting stuff on their car uh, thing, uh, what do they call it, uh, Roadshow. Uh, the Verge had some interesting stuff, specifically about the Freightliner semi-trucks over on their website. Um, lots of good stuff to go and check out. Lots of other tech news worth looking at. We've got roll-up TVs coming up very soon. Uh, Apple TV is going to be in everything. That's kind of cool. So uh, definitely check it out if you didn't see any of the CES coverage over this week. And uh, after the bump, we'll talk a little bit about some news coming from the Detroit International or the North American International Auto Show in Detroit. Stay tuned. <laughs> So from the sunny valleys surrounding Las Vegas to the dingy and dark and very cold city that surrounds Cobble Hall in downtown Detroit, uh, we're heading to uh, the Detroit Auto Show, the North American International Auto Show. This is the final one to take place in January uh, going forward, as in 2020, the show is moving to June. Uh, we're going to have that beautiful Michigan summer weather, hopefully, uh, but uh, it's going to be exciting. I'm hoping that this year it kind of leaves with a little bit of a bang. It might not necessarily. There are a lot of brands that have cut and run from this show. A lot of brands are already saying that they're going to have smaller booths, smaller appearances, uh, fewer announcements, but uh, there's a lot of potential for this year's show uh, to be an important one. Ford already kicked things off by announcing the 2020 uh, Ford Explorer. This is the first new Explorer in the better part of a decade. Uh, this new Explorer is going to be based on a rear-wheel drive architecture that I think is related to the one that's underneath the uh, Expedition and the uh, Lincoln Navigator. Um, 
sounds like it's going to be a really great platform. It's really stiff. Uh, reviews on those vehicles have been great. They have independent rear suspensions, uh, so they handle and ride and drive really well, um, all things considered. What is new about this vehicle is, well, the size doesn't really change all that much. The look isn't necessarily a huge leap forward. Um, but overall, it's just going to be a much higher class vehicle. And that's important to know, especially when the current Explorer, the one that's on sale right now, was such a huge leap compared to the one it replaced uh, back in the late aughts, early 2020s. I want to say it was 2011 was the first year for the current model. That sounds right in my brain. Uh, and, you know, that model really kind of sat through a huge transformative process at Ford, and it really kind of spurred a lot of the changes that we see with their crossovers and SUVs these days. This new Explorer uh, with that rear-wheel drive architecture is going to have uh, potentially a little bit better fuel economy. Uh, it will have a little bit more storage space. It will have more capacity for passengers uh, sitting in the second row with that longer wheelbase. Um, but the overall size, like I said, doesn't really change a lot. I think it's like half an inch longer, if even that, overall. On the inside, Ford will be rolling out their new um, technology uh, suite on the dashboard. Uh, Ford is unveiling a new 10.1-inch touchscreen that's aligned vertically on the dashboard. So think like uh, the kind of systems that you see in like the Volvo uh, XC90 or in the Ram 1500. Uh, this screen, I think, is going to be a little bit closer in size to what Volvo uses. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it's going to be running Sync 3, so it's going to be a pretty well-regarded platform to be using nothing new there. Um, but it is a floating stand display, which a lot of people don't care for. Uh, myself, I'm very much in the middle on that. I think there are ones that are executed well, there are others that aren't done so well, um, but not built into the dashboard like it is with the RAM. Um, I think that's going to be a really well laid out, really well executed dashboard. It looks great, at least in the things. What I'm curious to see is how much better the build quality uh, can be or should be in this Explorer. The previous one I thought was very nice, especially in the higher level uh, platinum trim, I think was the top tier, or was it the titanium trim? I always get it mixed up. I think it's platinum was the top trim in the Explorer. Um, curious to see if that kind of rolls over into this one or not. Um, Ford, as of late, has been saying that they've been increasing their uh, quality standards in their interiors, but it never quite seems to be up, up to snuff, at least when it comes to touch, um, compared to what FCA and GM offers, even though the GM interiors, on the whole, aren't quite as nice as what Ford does. Uh, I think it's more just an aesthetic thing there. Um, what is interesting also on this vehicle is it sounds like the mechanical bits are going to be new, refreshed, alternative models compared to what are currently out there right now. So the 2.3 liter turbocharged inline four will come over from the previous gen one to this one. More or less, it's the same turbocharged engine that you see in the Ford Mustang and in the new Ranger. Um, looks like output's gonna be around 300 horsepower. So closer to what it is in the Mustang, um, that one will be able to be uh, mounted to a 10-speed automatic with uh, four-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive. Rear-wheel drive is standard on all new Explorers going forward. Uh, the optional engine will be a 3-liter twin-turbo V6. I'm not entirely sure if this is an all-new engine or if this is just a bored and or stroked version of the old 2.7-liter engine, which always got very good reviews as well. Um, also with that one, uh, rear-wheel drive or four-wheel drive are available. Um, what is interesting to note, I think for me, between those two powertrains with those 10-speed automatics, is that with the trailing package included, 
it's only a 300 pound towing capacity difference between each one. Uh, the standard uh, 2.3 liter inline four can tow 5,300 pounds, while the larger one can pull 5,600 pounds. Whether or not that breaks the bank, that 300 pound difference, I don't really know. Um, you do have to get that trailing equipment package. Um, so I'd be willing to bet that in more basic forms or with the four wheel drive system, those numbers are probably quite a bit lower. But overall, I'm really excited to see these things in person. Um, you know, I've, as much as I resist this crossover SUV explosion in the marketplace, I've had a soft spot in my heart for this Explorer uh, for quite some time, especially the current one that's on sale right now. And platinum trim, they look absolutely fantastic. The interiors are luxurious in a way that I had never seen in a Ford at any point in time. And if it weren't for the Honda Pilot, I think it would be the crossover I would buy uh, at least for me. So if you need something that big, always worth a look, but these new ones I think are going to be worth waiting for. As far as other announcements from the Detroit Auto Show, well, we're going to have to wait and see. I've talked about the Toyota Supra ad nauseum uh, going into the show. Uh, pictures got leaked today by uh, Toyota of Mexico. Uh, the car looks great. The car looks exactly like how we thought the car would look. Not a surprise there at any point, uh, really, about anything. Uh, I think for many people with the Supra, it's less about... Uh, what the car is, more about what the car will be, uh, and to be even more specific, how much it's going to cost. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Toyota will not be saying that at the Detroit Auto Show this year. Uh, but knowing that the car will be out by the end of the year, I think is still very, very exciting news. What's also going to be interesting uh, coming out of this show is the news that got announced today, or at least it was implied today, uh, that Cadillac will be taking over EV uh, production lead at GM. Uh, it wasn't exactly clear what's going on, but more or less they're saying that Tesla, uh, you know, is a formidable marketing or market opponent, and Cadillac is the only brand inside of GM's repertoire. I don't know how you want to say that. Uh, GM's portfolio uh, that can take on Tesla directly, and this kind of flies in the face of all the news that the German, Swedish. Uh, Japanese, Korean car companies are all kind of doing their thing to kind of take on Tesla. And I find it personally shocking, ha, huh, to say that Cadillac should be the brand for GM to use uh, to take on Tesla. Uh, after all, Cadillac hasn't exactly had the best couple of years when it comes to sales, uh, reliability scores, things like that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I like the idea of something that's an ATS-sized or CTS-sized uh, EV coming out of Cadillac. I think that uh, GM has a fantastic powertrain option with that Voltec uh, electric motor. They've got battery technology that seems to work okay. But putting it in the Cadillac and charging $50,000 for it is not the way to go when I... Like I said earlier in this podcast, it's that $30,000 before federal tax incentives, 250 miles of range standard that's going to get you a lot of attention inside the marketplace. And the Bolt is there, but the Bolt is not a body style. It's not at a trim level that's appealing to a lot of people. And if they would have done an electric powertrain in something like a Malibu, or something like an Impala, I think that would have been a much more approachable thing for a lot of people because they're tangible vehicles that a lot of people use day to day. And, you know, 
I don't know. I mean, the idea of an EV Cadillac is exciting. I think Cadillac makes absolutely fantastic cars. They have some absolutely fantastic chassis at their disposal. Um, I think they can engineer a really good car, but the problem is, is that their interiors are never quite enough. Their infotainment systems are never quite enough. And until GM figures out how to build a fucking Cadillac that's worth a damn, just throwing EV technology at the company just doesn't it doesn't make sense. Like, I, it's just... Ugh, it's so frustrating! <sighs> but yes, it sounds like that's going to be something that might be announced fully with more details at the Detroit Auto Show here in just a few days. Uh, other things that apparently might be happening in the Detroit Auto Show, uh, the Ford Ranger Raptor might get uh, announced for the U.S. Uh, so far, I think it's only Australia and maybe Europe or South Africa that might be getting this truck. Uh, nevertheless, uh, people are clamoring for it. People are demanding it. Ford has been extremely coy about the project, so we don't officially know. I think Ford's main concern is that if the Ranger Raptor is on sale, how many uh, sales are they going to lose for the F-150 Raptor uh, going forward? And I go, who cares? You're going to make money either way. Uh, other stuff, uh, Chevy has not said that they have a big announcement, um, but a lot of people think the new uh, Zora project, uh, named after Zora Argostuntov, the uh, lead engineer of the Chevrolet Corvette in its infancy, uh, that that project will be announced. Uh, more or less, this is the C8 mid-engine Corvette. Uh, we still don't know what's going on with this project. Um, a lot of people think that the next Corvette will split into two. That's personally what I'm hoping for, that there is a mid-engine, uh, very expensive, very high-performance Corvette, uh, and then there is still a front-engine, rear-drive, cheaper alternative uh, for old fogies like me who maintain a Corvette, should have a V8 at the front, drive the wheels in the rear, and it shouldn't be more than fifty dollars or $60,000. So... We'll see what comes out of that. Um, if that gets delayed, wow, what a weird thing to not have Chevy announce that at the Detroit Auto Show. But, hey, weirder things have happened in the past. Um, the other big announcement that I think a lot of people are waiting on, and it sounds like it could be a done deal at this point, and that is the uh, automotive alliance between Ford Motor Company and Volkswagen. Uh, Volkswagen has been looking not necessarily for a partner uh, worldwide, but Ford is desperate for someone to help them uh, with de development of EV vehicles, autonomous vehicles, so on and so forth. And with Ford not doing so well in Europe, uh, this might be a good way to help them uh, with development of vehicles going forward. So uh, Ford partnering with VW kind of fulfills a weird thing that would have happened back after World War II, where Ford was offered uh, the rights to purchase Volkswagen after the war and operate that company. And uh, Henry Ford said no, uh, he didn't want it. And uh, look how that turned out uh, throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, Volkswagen, though, is desperate to have some help, I think, in the North American market. I think what excites me about this is that uh, with all of the work that they're doing with their ID program, specifically with the ID buzz, uh, coming very soon, and, you know, maybe we do see a production version of the ID buzz uh, here in Detroit. Uh, that's the golf-sized electric vehicle uh, coming from Volkswagen. Maybe we get a, basically, that platform vehicle, but with a Ford body with uh, Ford engineering parts skinned over it, and that, I think, is very exciting. Uh, as much as I want a small Ford vehicle uh, here in the U.S., 
uh, it sounds like Ford themselves aren't going to do it ever again. And uh, if it happens to be a Volkswagen underneath, well, eh, who knows? Uh, we could also get a uh, new small crossover coming from Ford. Uh, there's been some leaked images of a new Fiesta-based uh, EcoSport replacement already. Um, so we'll see if that materializes into anything at all. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of announcements that are kind of just out in the wind right now with Detroit. Um, I think for me, up on my high end of my list of stuff that I would like to see is what GM's wanting to do with their small cars. Um, we know that the Cruze is going away. We know that the Volt is going away. We know that the Impala is going away on the larger platform vehicles. Uh, I'm really curious to see what their smaller vehicle lineup is going to look like going forward. Uh, Nissan, I think, needs to announce something more directly to replace the Sentra, um, which we could get a shot of in the very near future. Uh, Honda, you know, I, I would love to see something to follow up the S2000, uh, but it sounds like crossovers, SUVs, things like that are still the hot thing, so we could get some kind of follow-up to the CRV or something along those lines. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be a weird show. So uh, keep your uh, eyeballs, earballs, whatever you want to call them, uh, tuned to the Salvage Title Podcast. I will try to do a news wrap-up each day with the big announcements going forward. Uh, and uh, if you have anything that you're interested in hearing more about, uh, drop me a line here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. I'd like to hear from you. I'm planning on going to the show not this weekend, but the weekend after uh, to look at some of the new vehicles. And, you know, like I said... That Chevy Blazer has my attention. I want to see how dumb it is in person because, uh, like I said last week, whew, man, that's one expensive SUV, and that leads very neatly, uh, neatly into the next segment of the show. So last week, as I've talked about in the show, uh, we talked about the insane pricing structure of new crossovers, new SUVs, and I highlighted the new Chevy Blazer as one of them. Uh, just a quick rundown of the thing, you know, that Blazer equipped with the V6, equipped with the all-wheel drive with standard features that I feel like are completely necessary here in 2019. Uh brings the price to just about $50,000. Uh, with taxes and everything, well beyond $50,000. And that's fucking crazy for a brand new SUV that's not that much bigger than an Equinox and is certainly a good bit smaller than the new Traverse. Now, looking at used cars lately, I was sitting at a stoplight the other day in downtown Holland, Michigan, and just peering over my shoulder, I'm looking at the price that's sitting in the window of this nearly new Chevy Equinox. I assume this is probably a 2016 model that just came in off of lease, and uh, or maybe it's a 2017 model. It's, really, it's the brand new body style. And uh, they had a $20,000 price sitting in the sticker, uh, or sitting uh, in the window as a sticker. And I went, why? Why would anybody buy a used Equinox, probably with 20, 30, 40,000 miles on it, when you can go right next door at the dealer, get a brand new Equinox, negotiate a lower MSRP, 
apply the GM family and friends discount that they're currently doing on everything right now, and very likely get a brand new, likely better equipped Equinox for less than what that one is right there on the used car lot. People are fucking crazy for SUVs and crossovers right now, and it's so evident in the way that uh, used car dealers have moved all their crossovers and SUVs to the front of the lot, that they're all marked up by 5, 10, 15, 20% over what they should be, that they're all just there. Like, it's just, it's so frustrating to see that people are so willing to get gouged on these prices because everybody wants this body style of vehicle. I mean, used car prices here in the U.S. have been fucked for the past decade, and that was largely due in part to the uh, uh, oil issue, you know, where gasoline was super expensive, uh, that was due in part to financing stuff getting weird, uh, it was due in part to, uh, you know, uh, you know, people trying to get smarter with money. You know, people people don't want to deal with depreciation of vehicles. And the other thing is, is that used cars last a hell of a lot longer than they used to. Um, the average car is lasting, you know, four to five years longer than what they did. Uh, they're being able to go for a lot further on mileage than what they used to. And so that penalty for buying a used car is much smaller than it once was. You've got CPO pr- programs, things like that, that maintain the values of these used vehicles, so on and so forth. It's just, it's a big house of cards, as it were. And until we all kind of collectively realize that, you know, maybe buying a new car isn't the worst thing, or maybe buying a used car is a little bit better for you, uh, there's not going to be an easy way to fix it. I think the main thing out of everything is that you, as a buyer, need to do your research on what's out in the market what kind of prices people are acquiring these things for, and what you can do to get the best deal possible going forward. Um, So, you know, maybe don't buy that $50,000 Equinox. Uh, Maybe head on over to the Acura dealer and get a better deal on the new RDX. You know, maybe don't buy that used uh, Equinox. Maybe get the, uh, the, the cheaper new model with a few less features. Uh, It's, God, it's just crazy. So, yeah, do your research. Keep your eyes open. Don't let these dealerships swindle you to pay all this extreme amount of money for these used vehicles that have thousands and thousands more miles on them. Uh, Yeah, sure, the depreciation is taken care of, but if you're already getting a good deal to begin with, who cares? That's really what it comes down to. Who cares? If you're planning on owning this vehicle for that long, you may as well get the new one. It's going to work a little bit better in the long run, especially with those discounts that are out there right now. So last up, we normally do a car that's on my mind segment where I talk about a car that's just captured my attention for the past couple of hours, couple of days, so on and so forth. And uh, instead of that, we're going to talk a little about my car, my Ford Fiesta that I've had for almost three years now. It'll be three years in March, and uh, it's been a f- absolutely fantastic car. Um, I, I have to say that for all of the crap that Ford gets about a lot of their small cars. This one, you know, was engineered in a way that gets the job done. It's fun to drive. Uh, it's pretty good on gas. You know, it, it's it's been a great car that I've only had to spend a couple of bucks on outside of tires uh, to keep on the road, and that's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, but when I went to go get my oil change today, they noted when they were doing the inspection on my car after they rotated the tires uh, that my rear suspension is leaking on uh, the shocks a little bit, which means that they are starting to go bad. 
and they gave me a quote on new parts uh, for my car. And so this uh, place that I go to, they use Monroe shocks uh, to replace the standard ones on a lot of their vehicles. And each of those shocks and struts are over $160 a piece. I think they're $180 for the front uh, struts alone. And that is crazy. Uh, all told, for the new shocks, the new struts, installation, the necessary little bits and bobs that go with it, uh, would be just about $1,200, all things considered. And that is nuts. I, I cannot believe that that's how much they are charging for that. And, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's not their fault. It's just the parts that they have. They just gave me a quick quote based on what would be readily available to me at any point in time. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I'm... I'm at that impasse that I don't remember if I talked about it here on the show or not, um, but when I purchased this Fiesta, one of the things that right away that I wanted to do with it was swap out the standard suspension that's on the American version of the car, which I own, to the European spec uh, suspension. Uh, Ford actually sells the European spec suspension themselves. Uh, it consists of stiffer springs and uh, slightly stiffer shocks and uh, struts. And in the end, it lowers the uh, ride height of the vehicle about an inch, give or take. Um, and it doesn't denigrate the ride quality of the vehicle, but it just stiffens up your ability to get down uh, the road and handle and, you know, match the European character of the vehicle a little bit more versus when the car came to the U.S., they softened it just a little bit for highway use and they uh, used uh, less sticky rubber um, that kind of gave it more of a commuter car feel. And I kind of want to go to what that European standard is because, uh, well, Europe is right in most of their automotive designs that they do. So I'm going in my brain. That's a $300 purchase just for those bits and bobs. The problem is, is that I need them to get installed. And when I talk to the guy uh, at this place and I'm like, hey, if I source these parts myself, can you install them? And he's like... Mm, probably not. Uh, that might be something you might have to go to the dealer to do. And it's funny because I've asked the dealer before if they will do installs on their own parts, and they've said no. And I don't get why if I buy the parts from Ford directly, they won't do it themselves. So I'm at that impasse where I can buy these parts from, you know, the place where I get my oil change, the local service place that does a great job that I trust with everything that comes with a little bit of a warranty, or I can go to Ford and get the OEM parts and, you know, have it be mostly the same vehicle that rolled out of the factory, or I can source the parts myself and try to find somebody nearby to replace it, hope that they did it right, and not go with any kind of extra added stuff with that. I'm not 100% what I'm going to do. Um, the quote that I got from the folks down the street uh, was about 1300 bucks to replace the uh, front and rear suspension and get an alignment done. And that is a little, little bit much, a little bit more than what I want to do right now today uh, in January of 2019. But if I were to source the parts myself and save a good bit of money there, you know, if it's something like, you know, $600, $800, that's a little more palatable, at least for me. So... We'll see what we can do. I gotta see if I can find some people to install those parts for me. Um, I, but I think, I think it's time to get that European spec suspension put on my Fiesta. So I'll keep you guys posted of anything else more exciting, more fun that goes on in that world. But it's just weird how sometimes life kind of forces you to steer into that idea you had three years ago when you first bought the car. So yeah.
Fiesta News. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eslick, and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N, where I talk about car news, I talk about politics, I talk about lots of different bullshit. So if you want to catch me on my BS at any given time, that's always a good place to do it. Uh, You can follow back on previous episodes of this show uh, on the wide variety of podcasting platforms where this show is made available for free. Places like Spotify, iTunes, Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, so much more. Um, If you're on there, you're listening to the show, give it a like, give it a follow, give it a review. I'd really appreciate it. It helps us grow the show altogether. Uh, What else we got going on? We do other versions of this show. We have these side stories, these scrap stories that happen usually during the earlier part of the week. Uh, This week I talked about Android Auto and Apple CarPlay head units that are getting pretty affordable uh, going forward. Uh, What else do we get? We we have another show where we talk about the uh, Car Buyer's Guide, the Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide, where I break down a given segment of vehicles. Uh, I pick out what I think are the three strongest choices and then a fourth model for flavor. Maybe it's not the best vehicle to choose, but it's at least an interesting one worth considering. Uh, as far as other things go in my life right now, uh, well, hey, the Detroit Auto Show is almost here. I will be in Detroit next weekend, hopefully giving some more direct thoughts, ideas about the show, kind of seeing where things are at. So if there's anything in particular you want me to check out, make sure you drop me a line here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N or tweet at me at Y-S-S-M-A-N and I'll try to give it a peep for you. Uh, yeah, so that's about it, guys. Hey, you know, make sure you're out there, you're checking your tire pressure often this time, you know, vast temperature changes like what we've experienced here in Michigan over the past week uh, can really mess with your tire pressure monitoring system. Uh, So just keep your tires uh, up to date, check them often. It's the best way to get grip in uh, poor weather conditions. So hey, there's your automotive tip for this weekend. I'm sure I've done it before. Uh, I hope you guys have a great weekend. We will see you very soon with some auto news. So until then, guys, uh, see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. 